Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Goller. I'm Great Caller, and that was the voice of Olivia Newton-John singing a song that's very special indeed to me, Grace and Gratitude, and you'll find out why shortly. So welcome to this week's program. We're broadcasting to you today from the Hellwang Private Oncology Clinic in Germany's Black Forest. So this is an amazing clinic that I work with as a consultant where 21st century cancer medicine is practiced. Today we're going to talk about my memoir, Grace, Grit and Gratitude. And before we start, I would like to just do an introduction um, that really covers what I believe is very essential as a cancer um, entrepreneur and a cancer educator. So I think in order to advise cancer patients, one needs credentials, experience, professional quals, I think, uh, but even more than that, personal experience with large numbers of patients is very important. So working at the coalface through a patient's entire journey, I think, gives a very holistic view of the cancer journey. So who better to help me with discussing the story today than my partner and also a director of the Grace Caller Institute, Pip Cornall. Now, you may have heard Pip. 
um, learning to go with the flow was the um, earlier show that I did with Pip. So he joins me now and he's uh, going to ask me some questions about my life and my story through the vehicle of my memoir. So we have someone actually interviewing the host today, which is a little different. So here we go talking about grace, grit and gratitude. So welcome, Pip. Yeah, hello, uh, Grace. And uh, I am, uh, as Grace said, calling from a uh, private oncology clinic, Halbang, in Germany's Black Forest. Uh, I help Grace edit her memoirs, uh, Grace Britain Gratitude, and it's a, a remarkable account of triumph over adversity. And uh, Grace has chosen Olivia Newton-Jong's song. We've done some work with Olivia to represent her story. Uh, so, Grace, what does the song mean to you? Okay, Pip, I think uh, when I was going through my many challenges and adversities, uh, it was actually very difficult for me to focus on gratitude. In other words, you know, here's this, um, these series of events, for instance, that I've been given and that I need to be grateful for them. And I think every person that I've dealt with uh, going through cancer or other adversities could really identify with this because we're all supposed to think positively as we're going through these horrendous things. And um, so the gratitude aspect was something that I knew um, would come along but it wasn't exactly at the time when I was going through this so it was a deeply um, personal life-changing experience or series of experiences that I had and I came through that at really knowing that we're necessary that I really think we can find the resources that we need um, it, it really value adds to our human potential when we go through these experiences and look back on them. You know, we can look back and we realise how much gold we've actually spun from all the straw. And uh, so when I was titling my book, I had heard uh, Olivia Newton's John's song just a little while after I'd actually finished the manuscript. And I'd actually met Olivia and helped her with some stress reduction techniques and it seemed very, very appropriate. She'd been through the breast cancer journey. I'd been through my particular journey. And I think we'd both finished up at that place of gratitude for what our life had bought us, basically. Uh, yeah, Grace, I, um, I know we've talked about PTSD and cancer patients, but what you're talking about there is a kind of post-traumatic growth, as some people call it. So you gain great um, skills from adversity, dealing with adversity, and a great uh, centeredness. Um, I've been involved with your cancer work for nearly six years, and uh, I see the long hours, 24-7 basically. I see the care, the compassion, the skill. I'm always in awe of uh, what you bring to your work. And uh, you're, you're, you've lived a big life, Grace, and uh, it's often hard for me to imagine that I'm the partner of somebody who's lived such a big life. Uh, often people are regarded as celebrities or gurus or, you know, they're out there, they're on a pedestal, but you're also... There's no ego around you and no fuss. Um, so what is it uh, that drives Grace Gawler to live such a big life? <laughs> uh, okay, look, I, it's fair to say that I believe that there's a lot of folks around who really just get out there in society and they, they just do and they do brilliant work and often they're invisibilised. Um, because we do have this idea of uh, people going out there as gurus or celebrities. But uh, for myself, um, I'd have to answer that to say that I've always had a lot of fire in my belly. 
Um, I've always had a lot of passion and I've had a lot of heart, particularly for uh, this cancer work. For, I would say, most of my life, I'm uh, 59 next month and uh, now a grandmother and I just cannot see myself uh, doing anything else uh, other than this work. So I think, you know, the burnout rate's often high for people who work intensively with cancer patients and I've been in the field for 38 years now, um, had some small ins and outs through all my adversities where I've been out of my work and come back into it. But I think there's something much larger that also inspires me. Um, I really feel that there's something around me, through me, in me that lights my spirit. And it really infuses me with a joie de vivre for my work, which uh, many people ask me, do you find this work depressing? And actually, no, because I feel like just being able to make a contribution to one family's life, let alone thousands, is a tremendous honour. Um, it's really sacred work and that really fires me up to do what I need to do. Yeah, sure, Grace, and I get to uh, see that uh, 24-7 <laughs> uh, in our work. Um, Grace, uh, can you tell the listeners about your early life up until the time when I first met you when I was your physical education teacher, which was about year 11 and 12 at high school? Yeah, and that's uh, another story. In fact, we told that story, didn't we, Pip, on the earlier program, um, which is in the archives on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that. It's called um, Learning to Go with the Flow. Um, early life, probably the person that I was inspired by the most was a guy called Professor Julius Sumner Miller, and he hosted a science program. Um, that was on in the afternoons after school. So he inspired me because he asked one question, and it's a question I probably ask several times every day and always think of the good professor. And that question is, why is it so? Because uh, I'm, I'm a person who goes between complementary medicine and uh, oncology and psychology and psychotherapy um, so uh, Professor Sumner Miller's work really has inspired me, it inspired me to study hard at school. Um, it inspired me to uh, look for part-time work in a scientific area. So I had a really strong desire when I was very young, probably about eight or nine, to be a vet or to work in cancer research or both. And... Uh, so this is an interesting thing. You have to be careful what you ask for, they say, because ironically, as it finished up, I married a vet who had cancer. So uh, yeah. that <laughs> um, they were all of the things that really inspired me. And I was very, very fortunate that the people that I worked with early in the veterinary clinic um, actually were very fantastic mentors to me. They really took me not only as a veterinary nurse but as a human being and as a person and as a young girl. And I think they also helped to instill um, a lot of values uh, which were very valuable at that time of my life, personal values uh, and integrity. So I think that's probably um, about it for that earlier stage. But the passion that I had for those things was was really, really solid. I did a lot of reading, a lot of study, and really put myself wholeheartedly into uh, my life and my work. 
I guess today they'd call you a geek, but uh, you also had a great love of, of, of music and dancing, so you managed to fit all of those things into your life. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, in fact, that's an important thing that you mentioned there because dancing, also singing, uh, were both an important part of my life. And uh, we've talked about that on this program before in the four fundamental questions of where in your life did you stop singing? Well, my singing kept going and my movement kept going and I learned to be comfortable with my life story and also to be comfortable with the silence. So um, on that note, we're about to go for a break, Pip, and uh, we're going to come back after the break with some more questions uh, following on from what actually happened to me after that time. We're going sure. for a break Thanks, now. Right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Guller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Hi, this is Grace Gawler and we're back with Navigating the Cancer Maze, talking today with Pip Cornall, who's interviewing me as the host, and we're talking about my memoir, Grace, Grit and Gratitude. Pip, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Grace. Well, look, Grace, uh, I was your physical education teacher, as we said, uh, in the years of 70 and 71 and I thought you're an exceptional student then and then we parted ways and uh, I wondered what happened to you after 1970 when your schooling was completed? Well, at the finish of school, um, that was at high school, I was actually offered a job with the vet that I'd been working with uh, after school and most weekends. And that to me was a very exciting offer rather than going out and going straight to university, which my parents happened to be against at the time. So this was very good. It served both uh, sorts of needs. 
And um, that job proved to be fantastic. As I said before the break, these were the people that had mentored me and were very positive influence in my life. And I thought by getting a lot of surgical experience that this would really help me out when I eventually did go to university to do vet science. Um, also, at the same time, I was actually offered a, um, a modelling job. This was a bit of an experiment in the beginning, and this was going to be to earn some extra money, um, also to help me pay my way through university. I, um, I had a relative who was uh, in that profession, and they gave me a bit of an entree card. So it looked to me like my life was going pretty well in the right direction, and a lot of these opportunities came my way. Um, after 1970, I moved on from that practice due to some uh, problems with my back from lifting heavy dogs, and I moved to a small town, a very small country town, Bacchus Marsh it was called, and there I worked for a, a young vet um, who wasn't long out of graduating from university, and he had a large and small animal practice, which was absolutely ideal for me and I had to do no lifting of any animals so this was a very good deal and in fact um, those few um, those years up until late 1974 which we'll talk about in a moment but um, it was just a, a great experience meeting wonderful people um, our practice was straight out of a James Herriot novel with all the characters included. Um, the work was fantastic and we had some really wonderful clients who became friends. Um, the, the work there was also interesting because we cared for a lot of performance animals. And uh, in, in many ways, this earlier part of my life, without my knowing it, was actually setting um, quite a, um, uh, uh, if you could say, a, a something in train for the whole of the rest of my life. It was like all these pieces were coming together individually, but of course at that age I had no idea how they were going to turn out. Mm. Yeah, look, Grace, uh, I was uh, remember editing your book and uh, it seemed like there were certain major stages in your life. 1974 was a major life-changing event, um, can you tell us how that in event uh, impacted the course of your life? Well, yeah, Pip, as I said, I was going along and uh, life seemed pretty good. And um, I managed to get into a relationship with this young vet that I was working for. And we were only very early on in our relationship when he was diagnosed with osteogenic sarcoma. Um, that's a bone cancer where bone cells actually grow out of control and uh, it's a very serious kind of cancer. So that came as a real shock and it was a real turning point in my life. Um, his parents were overseas, he had no one to care for him and uh, the diagnosis at the end of 1974 actually led to his leg being amputated in January of 1975. So this was a really huge experience it was for both of us um, who were very new in a relationship and, you know, they were very tough times emotionally and especially in the time of preparation for um, him going to hospital and we knew that the leg was going to be amputated almost certainly because we'd treated dogs um, quite often with osteogenic sarcoma. Um, I guess that wasn't such a, a, 
a good image to have in the mind either because um, all of those dogs eventually were put down and um, I think this was a, a really big impediment into our dealing with this. Um, so basically we spent 11 months adjusting to the new situation after his leg was amputated um, and I was really taking over that carer role. We spent a lot of time actually just adapting. It was almost like a, a re-getting to know each other and we weren't the people that we were late in 74. <clears throat> we were these new people, these different people who had this new problem um, and situation to adapt to. So we, we actually dealt with that by travelling around Australia. We went through the Red Centre, um, had some exciting times bogged in the outback. There's a very interesting chapter on that where we had to walk through swamps with um, Ian on one leg and crutches um, in the middle of the outback in the middle of the night. So uh, we, we had a lot of very exciting times then. Um, then at the end of that year, which was 1975, um, a partner had been told that the cancer was back and he had a life expectancy of three to six months. The very day he was given that prognosis, um, I was offered a major modelling contract with a very, very big agency in Australia, which was uh, Vivian's, and uh, my life really turned around again. So I've had uh, these many uh, crossroads, if you like, in my life, and I had the choice as a young woman, I was about 21 by then, uh, do I help this person who has no support, um, who I'm early in relationship with, or do I take off and do this very um, potentially quite lucrative um, modelling job which really could have um, set me off very nicely in life and I chose the compassionate way. Um, I chose to support him and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, Grace. Um, and, and then a, a little while later um, I believe you guys went off to the Philippines and uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, look, we did a lot of things um, as desperate people dealing with cancer do and probably still in shock and trauma. Um, he actually tried meditation with uh, a fellow by the name of Ainsley Mears who was a retired psychiatrist. And at the same time, we started doing a diet very intensively called the Gerson diet. And what happened with trying to do those things, we got so stressed trying to de-stress and he lost a lot of weight through lack of protein with the diet and um, it didn't have a very happy ending. In fact, it almost caused his ending and uh, he became very, very ill and very, very emaciated and uh, was, we know with hindsight now, likely also dealing with tuberculosis at that time. Um, so for me, it was a fairly uh, traumatic uh, time. One finds the energy and you deal with these life situations as they come along. Um, but looking back on it, you know, we put a lot of energy into doing a lot of things and eventually he was given a few weeks to live and um, he married me at that point and uh, he asked and I said yes. I thought he was delirious um, after some of his treatment and we finished up um, trying going to the Philippines to see the healers there. This was basically because we were not offered any uh, medical options at that point. If someone had said, look, this is going to work or, or that's going to work um, in a medical framework, we probably would have done it. But he'd, he'd tried some radiation therapy at that time as well 
and um, that did absolutely nothing. It didn't help his pain. So as this young person, there I was with this uh, enormous responsibility in taking this half-dead man across the world into an Asian country where it was very hot and not really knowing what we were going to. Um, But again, we we crafted some... um, some really good things from this and I think one of his key things there that really helped him was his spirituality um, his regaining of his spirituality and his sense of that and also um, getting back onto what was a reasonable diet um, he put a lot of weight on while he was there and uh, we came home he was heavier he was still alive and people were scratching their heads to say what's going on this man should be dead Right. Yeah, well, that's uh, amazing times. And, uh, of course, listeners don't think what it's like. Uh, nobody thinks what it's like to be the partner of a person with one leg, but his hands are on the crutches all the time. So when you're talking about traveling, you're doing a lot of lifting. And, uh, you know, when you're carrying meals, you're, you're doing all that sort of extra work. People don't think about those extra things, being uh, a partner of a one-legged man. Look, it's, it's interesting that you say that, and actually they they don't. I, I know when he travelled on his own and uh, he would be walking with his crutches and one leg, he'd actually get a lot of people asking him if he needed help. Um, if I was with him, I think it was an awkward thing for people, and so no one ever asked, do you need help? And, yeah, I finished up doing um, a lot of the carrying, uh, which ultimately I paid the price for later on. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Grace, then you returned from the Philippines and, and he'd put on weight. Uh, he was feeling a lot better, but the cancer was continuing to grow. Uh, back in Australia, you had little medical guidance, uh, so you were out there just searching for any solution whatsoever. Yeah. Um, what treat- pe- yeah, what treatments uh, did, you, did you try and, and what were the outcomes, Grace? Well, we actually, um, one day we did add this up. We did about 30 different types of treatment. Um, and, uh, you know, where I'm working now with cancer patients, I really understand their situation of desperation and trying to do so much. Um, I think for us, those 30, um, those 30 treatments all might have played a part in giving us hope that we were doing something. Um, most of them, I don't think, really impacted um, his situation a lot. Uh, we didn't have very much medical guidance because we'd been given up by the medical profession. I, we, we turned up in everyone's too hard basket. Um, we did finish up having some chemotherapy uh, for him at one point, and that was um, around about October of 1976, and he also had no response to that. So these um, calcified lumps that he had um, on his chest and um, in his lung and in his groin at that stage just seemed to keep on getting bigger and bigger. And we actually finished up going back to the Philippines um, uh, about the end of that year. And then we went on to Scotland and we just kept our search going. We lived at the Findhorn um, Foundation, which was in the north of Scotland, and it was actually there that he started to get some regression of these calcified um, lumps that were presumed to be uh, osteogenic sarcoma secondaries. So it was um, it was a very heavy period in my life. It was a very busy period, and it was a very focused period on trying to help him achieve what he needed to achieve in his recovery. 
And I think for myself, it was certainly a, a heightened period of personal growth. And um, I learned a lot along the way. And particularly for my work now, I, I'd learned what not to do as well as what to do in uh, helping people with cancer. Yeah, sure, Grace. How are we going for time here? It must be getting close to the break. Yeah, it is. We're about to come up (laughs) for a break. Yeah, so uh, we can come back after the break, Pip, and uh, and continue on with talking about Grace, Grit and Gratitude, my memoir. And what we've been talking about just now is um, a part of the memoir. It's uh, it's quite a large book and it's quite an amazing thing to write one's life story. It gives one a, a, a great perspective on uh, what you've done with your life. So we are closing up for the moment. We'll be back very soon after this short break. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Guller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll free from North America at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back. It's Grace Gawler here, Navigating the Cancer Maze, this week with... uh, a little bit of a talk and a review of my book, which was published back in 2008, Grace, Grit and Gratitude, and Pip Cornall is asking me questions. Yeah, Grace, so we're just kind of working our way through the book. Let's jump forward now to 1978 when your partner was told he was in remission. How did that unfold and uh, what happened after that, Grace? Uh, well, when we finished um, just before the break, I was mentioning that we'd actually been in Fintorn in Scotland. Um, so it's a little bit relevant to just clarify that because the large calcifications that he had on his chest started to disappear. And this was uh, highly unusual, not expected. And uh, gradually, uh, month by month, they disappeared completely until his chest wall was quite clear. So these um, actual, he had physical lumps on 
on the external wall of his chest um, and also going down into his lung and sternum. Um, so by the time it got to um, early in 1978, his chest wall was completely clear. But he did have a very nasty cough and he'd had that cough all throughout his um, experience with his illness. And we went along, I was pregnant actually with um, our first child and I was also very due to go into labour. So um, we Gaulers never did things by halves and here we are in uh, 1978, it was late um, June, we went along to see a radiation oncologist because although the bumps had cleared from his chest, he had uh, quite severe swelling and some pain in the ends of all of his large bones. And we just thought that the cancer had come back in another way. So um, we went along to the radiation oncologist for an opinion, only to be told that he said, well, the calcification, it's all gone. He said, oh, it's unbelievable. The cancer seems to have regressed completely. Um, but you've got TB. And I think you've had it uh, for at least two and a half years. And so that was another major turning point for my life. There went the home birth and uh, the very, very same night that we actually went home from the doctors, I went into labour and, um, of course, he couldn't share airspace with me or the baby any longer. So we had to go and check into a, um, a TB sanatorium and I checked into a birthing centre and delivered our first child um, uh, fortunately, it all went very well. Um, so after that uh, had happened, he, he came out of the hospital, so did I. And eventually, it was written up in the medical journal of Australia that he had had a, a remission. And it was a little bit of a one-sided write-up. And it talked about him having a remission uh, from osteogenic sarcoma, mainly through meditation. So um, that was the view of, um, of Dr. Mears at the time, the retired psychiatrist who taught him meditation. However, there were very many things that were involved in his recovery, and we can talk a little bit later in the, um, in the interview about that. So uh, things got pretty busy for us, and uh, once this MJA article, which is the Medical Journal of Australia, uh, once that had been published, the journalists found out about this, and it was very sensationalised through the newspapers. The phone rang hot, and I uh, was up after midnight with my young baby every night writing back to desperate cancer patients who had been in a situation like we had been and at that point in time we felt that we needed to create something. Um, we'd had a lot of people from time to time had come into our lives and had helped us, um, even helped us with anonymous donations of money and um, we just felt like we'd like to do something and give back. And so we created an organisation that actually was a, an education, uh, stress reduction, education and awareness for cancer. And we structured the first cancer support groups in Australia. Yeah, great. So um, in your book, again, uh, by the mid-80s, uh, you've got this successful uh, organisation. It's a charity. Uh, assisting cancer patients, uh, what part of the work really captured your interest and, and uh, how did it uh, pull you in? <laughs> okay, the, the early part of um, our foundation actually was quite a mixture. Um, we focused on the psycho-oncology for patients and 
Psycho-oncology is really looking at how you can help a cancer patient develop adaptive strategies, um, new ways of, of thinking, ways that they can manage and, and cope with their situation, which they may not have seen before, and also importantly dealing with the uh, PTSD that you spoke about before. So we found that the, the trauma from cancer and the stress that was associated with the diagnosis was quite a big issue that was largely um, left alone by the major cancer bodies, particularly in Australia, and I think also at that time in other parts of the world. Um, so the psycho-oncology always interested me. The medical side for me also um, had to be a reality. I, I think we look at holistic medicine and we think that it's only kind of alternative things and psychotherapy and emotional healing and spiritual healing but re really and I'm sure you um, you do agree with me on this that um, holistic healing must include the medical model Absolutely. yeah yeah so um, they were the things that really interested me in the work that we were doing but then I fine-tuned it and I began to become very interested in breast cancer uh, because there was a lot of research coming out at the time um, from psychiatrists who work with breast cancer that the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress component of a diagnosis and the psychological disturbances that uh, women with breast cancer were undergoing and this was all done in early diagnosis of breast cancer, not late stage. Um, and that was a really of great interest to me. So I decided I'd really try to focus um, on a gender-specific group, and it was breast cancer. And um, in doing that, I eventually wrote my book, Women of Silence, The Emotional Healing of Breast Cancer, which is available as an e-book, by the way, for any listeners um, who are overseas and who do want to get it. And that's been a Bible for women with breast cancer since I wrote it in 94. Um, it has been updated. Uh, so this area, I guess being a woman and, and a mother, um, the area of breast cancer and seeing so many women starting to be diagnosed at younger and younger ages um, was of real interest to me of to what kind of contribution could I make. Mm, yeah. Look, uh, you mentioned that you're a mother and, uh, of course, by this time you've had four children. Uh, you're running a cancer charity. Your husband was on the road a lot and... Uh, your life was uh, very, very busy. You were moving all around the country and indeed overseas, giving talks and presentations. Uh, I know from the book that 1997 was a ma another major turning point in your life. Uh, you called this time your uninvited sabbatical, a new <laughs> phase of your life. Would you like to uh, tell us what you learned from this time with you now being the patient and what were the difficult issues you had to grapple with, Grace? Okay, I've often described this period of my life not only as an uninvited sabbatical, but it also feels like my life's been a little bit of an opera with, uh, you know, all of the acts, the drama, the tragedy, the good things, the tears, the whole bit. Um, 1997 was definitely a major, major new phase, a crossroad um, in my life. Um, this is when um, my husband who had been the patient that I had cared for, we'd been together for somewhere about 24 years, um, actually our marriage uh, collapsed and uh, he left the marriage and I was not in a good state 
And they say the body tells the truth. And what actually happened to me was my uterus collapsed um, and it actually fell out. I had a complete prolapse of my uterus. And when I uh, went to have my repair done, I was in a state of what you would call um, post-traumatic stress and uh, perhaps didn't make the good choices because here I was having supported thousands of people, you know, over the years. And now I had three children at home, three teenagers, and I had this situation and the uninvited life change came in. And, uh, yeah, they were very, very hard times. Um, with becoming the patient, I think... Uh, to see to see things through the eyes of the patient was in fact the great gift and that is certainly now a part of the gratitude um, what had happened to me as a complication of the repair of that surgery is that my colon and my uh, pelvis became paralyzed so I had no feeling um, and my bowel was paralyzed so um, I could not do what everybody does every day and that made a, an enormous impact on my life and my life quality and uh, my well-being uh, so that went on for a number of years and uh, during those years, I've had, uh, wow, 21 different surgeries, quite major surgeries. Uh, some of those have been overseas, and maybe we can talk about that um, in a minute too. Um, I did what, I, what I'd always done for my patients, and um, eventually I was so sick of being sick I had ileostomies, colostomies, they failed. I had very bad burns on my stomach. Um, I was as thin as a rake with this enormous colon which couldn't empty and they were taking out bits and pieces over a period of time. So it was really, really challenging. Almost died several times from bowel obstructions. Um, but, you know, they say that you grow strong at the broken places. I think Hemingway wrote that. And I think for me, that's what I really did. I learned, I learned to adapt to my situation and instead of resisting it, um, I learned to talk about it quite openly with people, even though people found it difficult. And I learned to come to some kind of a peace, um, with my situation. And, you know, I look back on it now and I can really understand my cancer patients at a depth that um, I don't think I could possibly understand if I hadn't had this um, this major sort of life experience. Sure, Grace. And uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, 2003, after many surgeries, uh, 2003 was your next milestone and uh, a year that gave you back your life to some degree. Can you tell us... Um, about this solution to a problem that uh, was deemed impossible to uh, to rectify. Yeah, um, actually, I th we're, we're going to come up to a short break here, Pip, and I would come back after the break and talk about this because I think um, this topic could also be very useful for a lot of listeners today who may be in a similar situation uh, with this uh, new technique that's around. They could actually do very well. So we are going to take a break on Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawler, and we've been talking about my memoir, Grace, Grit and Gratitude. We'll be back soon.
opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Holvung Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.holvung-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Guller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Hi, welcome back. Grace Gawler here and talking about uh, my memoir, Grace, Grit and Gratitude. Before the break, uh, Pip asked me a question about 2003, which was my next milestone. Um, 2002, 2003 were both very special um, years for me. Um, I actually lost my sister in 2002, who, unbeknown to me, um, had a rare form of liver cancer and had sought alternative treatment for it and uh, had ultimately not done very well. And here was I at the same time dealing with um, my colon situation and um, fighting for my life as, uh, as she was fighting for hers. And what happened in 2002 is that I began researching on the internet and uh, looking for a solution to my problem because here in Australia, um, I had been told that there'd been no, there would be no solution to my problem. Um, I would have reduced well-being. I was um, cast aside as permanently disabled and never able to work again. And um, I had all these problems with these leaking ileostomies and um, colostomies. So I'd, I basically thought, okay, I've had enough. I can't go on living like this. Um, jumped on the internet, but no, didn't go to the, um, you know, the alternative sites. I went straight to the journal. And I actually f found a man in Holland who was actually doing um, research on sacral nerves and how the sacral nerves, which are big nerves that come around from the spine and actually give the nerve innovation to, to the bladder and the colon, um, the nerves that in my uh, situation were no longer working. There was paralysis. They'd been damaged. And uh, through some friends of friends, I called him up and before I knew it, um, September 2002, I was in Holland having um, large, long metal wires inserted into my spine and all sorts of electrical tests to find out uh, what had actually happened to my nerves. Um, it was determined that there had been damage. 
and that the solution would be to install a pacemaker-like device into my buttock, uh, implant it in there and attach it to a number of electrodes in my spine and program it accordingly. So um, this was a really amazing idea and, in fact, I went to Holland. I lived in Holland and um, the UK for 2003 and, indeed, I got my life back. Um, this was a world first. It was an experiment. And it was absolutely the most amazing thing to have um, been through this situation as a patient with no hope to go overseas, um, to live in a country where actually I did have some friends who could help me out and to come up with um, a really great success. And, you know, they had to check out that I was psychologically stable to undergo this experiment just in case it didn't work because it hadn't been done before for my condition. And, you know, in many ways, this is what I've always taught to my patients. Um, I've often said to them, you'll be out of energy before I'm out of options. And I looked yeah. for those options for myself and I found them and they were successful. Yeah, that's a great story. And it, it is an inspiring story. Indeed, your book, Grace, Grit and Gratitude, uh, I've heard the comments made by cancer patients and they've said, wow. Uh, after reading your story, it seemed that my battle with cancer was fairly trivial and it gave them a lot of motivation and a lot of courage to uh, just keep stepping up to the plate day after day. Grace, um, 2009 was another milestone. Uh, you, I was with you then and uh, we uh, reconnected in a, a very bizarre manner through uh, the USA where I was living in 2007 and I began helping you with your work. 2009, I found myself in the role of caregiver when your pacemaker stopped and there were two failed surgeries in Australia. It was around that Christmas, all the medical centres were closed. We were talking to the Minister for Health in Australia and we were trying to talk to your surgeon in Holland and you were running out of time because you only had uh, about one foot of colon and that was uh, looking like it was about to burst and that would be instant death. So uh, I was very, uh, very concerned, as were you, and we uh, managed to find a solution in Singapore. So this is twice uh, that a solution to a life-saving issue for you had been uh, resolved in an overseas country. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about that time? Um, I think for you, Pip, it was a very difficult time thrown into the deep end um, with somebody like myself with the condition that I had. And uh, for you as well, it's put you in the position of having been a caregiver uh, to someone with definitely a life-threatening condition because uh, when we finally got on a plane to Singapore, um, I had bowel obstruction. And that was um, not a good way to travel on a plane, but it actually meant my life or not. So uh, we gave it our best shot. And we found just such wonderful support in Singapore with a professor there who um, was a, a, a world expert. And in fact, he had had cancer when he was seven. And uh, he said uh, when he was a little boy that, you know, when he grew up, um, if he got better, he was going to become a world famous bowel surgeon. And in fact, he did. And he was there to save my life um, again. So Pip, I feel like a, a cat with nine lives. I, I hope I haven't used up all of them yet. Uh, 
uh, I feel like there's a lot of uh, get up and go still left uh, in me and I'd like to think I can do this work for a very, very long time. You know, life gives us these challenges and I seem to be somebody who's attracted more adversity for some reason into their life and perhaps it's because I've chosen to live more of life. I've taken more risks. Um, but... Uh, all in all, I think, you know, you, you as a carer for me did an amazing job. And, um, that's another big part of the grace, grit and gratitude with the, uh, the story that was published. Actually, it was published just before I, um, I had this problem and we went to Singapore. So there's another chapter or two to be added to grace, grit and gratitude. Um, grace, it is, uh, it is interesting though that, in these two situations, you've had life-saving surgery overseas when when the things were bleak in Australia, and uh, it's no coincidence, is it, that uh, with cancer patients who run out of treatment options in their home country, and be it America or Australia, we're getting people from Saudi Arabia, the Middle East, UK, uh, New Zealand, uh, coming with us to this uh, amazing private oncology clinic in um, Germany where they're able to do medicines which will probably be medicines in our home countries maybe in 30 years time but these are the breakthrough medicines of the 21st century um, so I'm, I'm very honoured to be uh, working with you on this project Grace It is fantastic and you know I've been uh, although I've had my uh, issues and my, my opera and my nine lives, I think I've also had a lot of grace, um, not only my name, but actually a lot of grace in, in my life and my recovery. So the opportunity to actually travel with people on their journey um, when they've got no hope and um, you know, they're going to a place where they can get authentic hope and good technical skill and good psycho-oncology. It's, it's everything that I've, I've lived my life for. And, um, it's something that I feel very honored to be able to give and work with people. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in your life, if we're, if we're summing it up, uh, as it does in the book, Grace, Good and Gratitude, You've had this uh, initial beginnings as a young vet nurse where you were sewing up animals, um, often with cancer and uh, doing operations on animals while you're still at school. Then you're a caregiver to a cancer patient uh, when you're just 21. Um, he had a poor prognosis and he's still alive today. And um, you became a qualified health professional and then later on you had your own life-threatening condition and... Uh, that saw a resolution in 2003 and again uh, when everything stopped in 2009. So that's a lot of experience. In the meantime, you never really stopped your work with cancer patients and uh, we're here in this clinic with uh, about 10 cancer patients and several carers and they are just so lucky to have your guidance because every day there's a, a new contingency, something that wasn't planned for and a decision has to be made and to make the right decision is uh, quite tricky. So, Grace, with all that background, how, how does all that experience uh, come together to in, inform and instruct the work that you do today? Well, Pip, I think it is like a recipe for a cake. Um, when I was 8, when I was 16, when I was 21, when I was 25, I had no idea what all the ingredients were 
were in that cake, what it was all about. And um, as I've um, grown in myself and I've had my other life experiences, that recipe, is, it's baked into a pretty good cake. But, uh, you know, if I'd gone back and, and uh, looked at those early days, it's just amazing how all of the things and the skills and, and the experiences that you have come together and they create the life that is um, and I think accepting the life that is has been a really big journey for me, um, not resisting it, but accepting what I've been um, dealt. Uh, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote, life is like a card game. It's not about being dealt a good hand, but how you play a bad hand well. And I'd like to think I've played a bad hand uh, well, and I'd like to think that that's what I can help others to do also in their life journey, especially their life with cancer. So Pip, we are coming to the end of today's show. Um, thank you for being my uh, my person there who's been asking the questions and uh, causing me to also think a little bit about my story. Um, I'd invite anybody out there who's had an amazing life uh, experience or series of them to write a book, whether you publish it or whether you have it for your family. It's a wonderful way of, of healing and your own recovery. Would you like to tell people, Pip, where they can get in touch with us? Yeah, sure, Grace. We have a number of websites, uh, Grace Gawler, institute.com and germancancertreatments.com as well for anybody interested in uh, prostate solutions I have one called prostatemates.com you can reach okay. Grace at institute at gracegawler.com and you can also reach us at the clinic here in Halwang, Germany Fantastic. Okay, we've got to go for this week in Navigating the Cancer Maze. Next week, it's Fran Drescher. I'll be interviewing on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Do join us then. Bye for now and have a great week. Love